Charities are our thing. And today's guest charity shout out is to the Grace Foundation. They work with people coming back into the community from incarceration and help them to reintegrate. They do amazing work and they are Richie's charity of choice today. Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hello, I'm Tim. Hello, I am Jess. And welcome to Sex in Space. This is our mega project that explores sex across all of its infinite dimensions. We want to turn the awkward into the straightforward and have some fun while we're at it. So if sex is a subject that interests you, I mean, if you feel like most of us do, that your sex education had more than a few gaps in it, if you feel you're not fully equipped to talk to the next generation or you're just interested in exploring some new points of view, then fantastic because you might have just found a place that you might be interested in our new weekly podcast yep so join us as we meet some earthly guests who may introduce you to some pretty alien concepts if you want to hear about how porn shapes our desires when sex needs therapy or what it's like to be a sex worker then you are in the right place it's sometimes challenging sometimes confronting but i would say it is always enlightening Mm -hmm. so Sexinspace.com. So Jess, uh, how do you feel about starting this exciting Sex in Space journey? I'm pumped. Awesome. <laughs> I'm pumped about starting the Sex in Space journey. Um, yeah, I think as a queer non-binary person, uh, I know that there's very little room inside traditional sex education for... Uh, gender expression and diverse sexualities and um, there's so many spaces in which people just aren't getting access to hear those stories or even understand those experiences um, including the people who are having those experiences themselves (laughs) (laughs) I can say with hand on heart so um, yeah I I guess I'm really excited about that about creating a, a platform where we can bring some of those amazing stories to the fore because I certainly don't know everything and and I'm, I'm really excited for the infinite possibilities. But also, I think I was always taught that like sex is separate from the rest of your life. And the more I like look into the space, I realize that that's like such a, such a false wall, mm-hmm. you know? And actually, like if we can actually see the continuity between sex and pleasure and consent and boundaries and all that delicious stuff and, and gender, then... I, uh, yeah, there's nothing we can't do. So I'm ready. I'm ready, Tim. Awesome. How about you? For me, it's going to be really interesting as a straight white guy to pull back the curtain on some of the worlds that might not have been uh, obvious to me that you know they existed or um, and some of the communities of people that, that are out there, some of the amazing uh, people who who's voices we don't hear every day and um yeah i think for me i'll personally learn a lot um i'm very happy to say that i don't 
know everything uh, <laughs> about this subject. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, expanding my own horizons and, and taking, uh, yeah, being able to take the listeners on that journey as well, I guess, um, and hopefully creating space for them to do the same. So today we're kicking things off with a great conversation I had with Richie Hardcore. Richie is a good dude. He's an educator, he's a public speaker, an activist. Uh, he works in violence prevention, drug and alcohol abuse prevention, sexual consent, mental health, wellness, fitness. Yeah, I really enjoyed his energy and we had an awesome chat. So uh, let's get to it and dive in. And now, the interview. You're Richie Hardcore. <laughs> I am you're Richie Hardcore. Hardcore. Um, I mean, t- tell us about yourself in your own words, mate. Just, you know. Yeah. It's always yeah. interesting. People are like, because I'm always trying to be like, hey, what's up? And not like get someone to define themselves by their work. But for me, I very much am of my work. And my yeah. work is of me. Yeah, you're kind of a, kind of a brand. Strangely uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting thing. Like, I never intended on being a brand. I think I've always... Like, I changed my name legally to Richie Hardcore yeah. when I was 26, before I even knew what a personal brand was or yeah, any of that. Yeah, yeah. Or before Instagram was a thing or everyone was reinventing themselves as a life coach or yeah. whatever. So before you bought the URL. <laughs> yeah, 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 before I bought yeah. the URL. I have the URL yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, Tim. I've done competitive martial arts for 26 years. Started fighting when I was 13 and... Um, moved from Taekwondo to Thai boxing and I'm also have found myself becoming an educator and advocate around I guess three really interconnected topics of masculinity, family and sexual violence prevention, mental health and I guess alcohol and drug Mm. harm reduction as well. I had a professional job working for a Ministry of Health contract around alcohol and drug harm reduction for six years. So I learned a lot in that space. Uh, And that all stems from what I've talked about a lot in the past with different people that I grew up with alcoholism. Alcoholism runs in my family and that, I guess, yeah, you know, that's my trauma. Yeah, Yeah, it led me on a particular path of um, choices. Yeah throughout my adult, teenage and adult life. And, and, and then I guess the last uh, eight or nine years, I've really been unpacking a whole lot of that stuff and doing that work on myself. And that informs my, my, my public facing practice now. Yeah, this work I do now just started from the ministry, get in touch, like, hey, we follow you online and we really like what you talk about. And would you be interested in doing this with us? Yeah. Which was a, a, a campaign around bystander intervention and encouraging men to be what we call active bystanders. Uh, encourage men to challenge ideas that can lead to family and sexual violence. And also more uh, situationally, if you see someone who looks like they might be at risk of sexual predation, to get involved. Mm. You know, they have this four Ds thing, like distract, delegate, um, direct, and delay, which is around four different ways that you can be an active bystander for helping someone who may have been assaulted sexually or preventing them from being assaulted sexually. I know that you talk a lot with groups of groups of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you used to be into 
drugs and porn and oh, yeah, other, sure. other sort of things? Like, or did you have an aha moment? Is it is it through the work that you've done that you've sort of changed your opinions on on those sorts of issues? Yeah, yeah. So I always had an so we'll do we'll do them separately, but, yeah, they, yeah. but it will happen concurrently. Do, right. you, do you know what I mean? So I always had an aversion to alcohol and drugs due to my family environment. So my my father. And I've talked to my dad, and I've said this publicly. Like when people started asking me about my life, I got in touch with my old man. and was like, "Hey, man, like you're a person in the world. Do you mind if I talk about my childhood dysfunction yeah, and yeah. your alcoholism?" And he said, "Yeah, if it helps other people, I'm comfortable for you to do that." Which I really, you know, big ups to my dad for, yeah, for totally. being like that. Um, but yeah, so my home life was pretty chaotic. Yeah, not all the time. It wasn't once warriors, but it definitely was really dysfunctional, um, and at times violent. And the police would come to my house, and I'd visit my father in rehab, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and my dad went through periods of sobriety and relapse um, through my childhood, and then my adolescence, and then then even my adulthood. You know. Mm. Um, which is hard, you know. It's hard. It, it shapes you uh, quite profoundly, and it's interesting now as an adult looking back to and with professional understandings yeah. to look at all the similarities of all people who grow up with parents who um, have addiction issues or substance abuse issues, because um, there are mad similarities. It's it's pretty fascinating. It's called the laundry list. If you if you ever want to, if you're listening to this and you're curious. You check out the laundry list of um, adult children of alcoholics. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite insightful, and it yeah. helps you go. Ah, oh, that's why I'm always in dramatic relationships. <laughs> I'm fucking programmed that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which doesn't mean you have to be like that all the time. So anyway, old man was drinking a lot, and shit was crazy when I was a teenager. So when my friends started drinking and doing drugs, I was like. Uh, nah, I'm not. I'm not into that. So I said no from a very, from about fifteen, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and then I ended up experimenting a bit with alcohol and drugs. You know, I never really liked it. It wasn't a big. I wasn't into. You know, first time I smoked weed, I vomited, and I was like, "This sucks." You know, like, <laughs> why, why is everyone doing this? Um, and you know, like there's the time I smoked weed and went and bought like a slime bar from the supermarket, and it was a giggle, and you're yeah, just cracking yeah. up, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I never really liked it, and same with alcohol, you know, like um, I didn't quit drinking f- per- full on till I was 27, yeah. But like when I was 27 is when I declared myself straight edge, mm. um, because I'd grown up. A lot, and I guess with two very different youth cultures. So I grew up in West Auckland, and a lot of my friends were massive substance abusers. And looking back, with what I know now, when you grow up with mad chaos, you gravitate towards chaotic people. Yeah. So my friends and I would go out to parties, and everyone's getting fucked up, and we'd get in like mad fist fights, and like riot police would come. And yeah. It was looking back crazy. Like I hope my Stepson never gets into yeah. the shit that oh, we no. got into. You know, I see yeah. people getting their heads kicked in and faces smashed into windows. Like, it was wild. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, oh, this is just adolescence. Yeah, I, I didn't know that there was an, a, a, a gentler way of doing it, mm. right? So there's still that, but then I met a bunch of, like, 
kind of older guys who lived in the central city and now are into the hardcore scene, which is where I take my name from, yeah. the hardcore music scene. And they were into this subculture called Straight Edge, which was really big around like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. It was American-influenced uh, subculture that stemmed from the punk rock and hardcore scene in America. And then the last time I got proper drunk, I was 24. You know, I'd, I was quite upset with my, my girlfriend at the time, and I just did what a lot of people do, and I was, like, fucking mixing, like, vodka and mixer in my yeah, mouth and, yeah. like, going up to uh, 420 up on K Road. That was the spot back then, yeah. Oh, okay. Puking up and shit, <laughs> yeah. like, just being a, like, total munter. Yeah. And that was the last time I got proper, proper drunk, and then I drank sensibly for a bit, and then I was like, this is whack. Like, I honestly think that drinking is one of the least rebellious, least counterculture things that we can partake in. Mm. I see all these like woke people like calling out people on the internet but then you look at the Instagram profile and they're like mad like yo here's, here's the name brand multinational alcohol corporation which yeah, yeah. leads to cancer and psychical violence and psychical economic deprivation and maybe you should just shut the fuck up with your ideas <laughs> while your actual lived experience is very different to what you're telling people. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like drinking is what if, you, if you're thinking like how do we oppress people? We do it every day with our with our marketplaces, with drunk food and fast food and alcohol, mm, cheap cigarettes, alcohol too. cheap alcohol. Cheapest alcohol in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is in South Auckland, and there are a preponderance of off license liquor stores. It's predatory. Yeah, yeah. You know, targeting younger people. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. But so much of our so much of our culture is still glorifying alcohol. You know, and there's. Um, you know, alcohol companies sponsor everything these days, from musical events to art festivals and yada, yada, yada. So for me, I thought, what's really being rebellious is rejecting what everyone else is doing. Mm. And that's sort of the premise of Straight Edge. You know, Ed McKay, who coined the phrase Straight Edge, he used to sing for this band called Minor Threat. And um, he was like, if being punk rock is going against the grain, well, what's being more countercultural than being sober in a high school full of people who are fucked up all the time mm. and glorifying it. So yeah, so that really struck a chord with me. So I was hanging out with these older straight edge kids. And then that music from the hardcore scene really started singing about social justice issues. Uh, so I was singing about racism and environmentalism and animal rights and feminism. Yeah. And the songs that I was listening to uh, really started introducing me into all these ideas. Yeah, so that's where the... That's that's the, where I started, like, reflecting on my own pornography use. Yeah. You know, there's this band down there from Los Angeles, and they had this song called Ritual, and I was like, yo, one out of three. They say my sisters are free, incarcerated by misogyny, fucking something or other, something or other. And I was like, yo, what is this shit? And started, like... Reading broadly, yeah, you know, at the hardcore shows that we would go to, there were always um, tables with fanzines on them. It was very political, you know. There was all these people writing like emails or AOL chat messages to people in America and asking them about all these big ideas, and we'd type it up and photocopy it and pin it together and make a fanzine about, yeah, these big issues. Yeah, and it was cool, and it was a cool exciting time for all these impressionable young people. Yeah. And I'm really happy that that's the scene that I ended up growing up in. Um, so all the work I do now is very much extrapolated out from that. Yeah. I still carry that with me. I think it's a spirit of rebellion that 
that that allows me to still connect with young people as I get older. Yeah. Because I know what it's like to be a fucking angry teenager yeah. or <laughs> fucking punch holes in the wall and, like, fight the cops and, and yeah. all that sort of shit. So um, in terms of the, like, it being a, count- a counterculture, though, um, like, you're trying to bring it, are you trying to bring it into the main a mainstream uh, conversation you, or use that as the connection to kind of inspire the youngsters? K- yeah, kids want to be cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Kids want to be like, fuck the system. And advertisers and marketers and branding experts have somehow twisted it so that getting fucked up and being thoughtless is what's cool and that's rebellious. But actually, that's the opposite of it. Mm. Even, you know, listen to like Wiz, Wiz Khalifa or any number of mainstream hip-hop artists who are like, so what, we get high. It's like, well, you know, kid, when you're 15, your brain's still developing. If you're getting high every day, it's fucking up. Yeah. The way your frontal cortex is, is um, progressing and it's advancement. And that's actually not cool. Yeah. You know, like, so you have to speak to kids, whether they're, you know, uh, wherever you find them in a manner that they understand in a way that's also appealing to them. Mm. Quite often we speak at people and expect them to change. You know, I, I see this, this drives me insane now, the way that young activists speak to other people on the internet. It's about shaming them and blaming them and making them feel bad for shit that they may have never mm, considered because they're not in. in a bubble of people who have progressive ideas and the privilege of an academic education. I've worked in behavior change for 10 years now, mm. whether it's alcohol and drug, whether it's working around mental health, whether it's about family violence prevention, nowhere in the data or the literature or the practice does shaming people and making them feel shit about themselves for things they've never even considered showing to be an effective tool for behavior change and ongoing behavior change. And yet that is where outrage culture and cancel culture and woke culture still continues to um, place itself and like calling people out. I'm like, yo, you don't need to call people out. You need to call them into the Kaupapa. So you ask me, you ask me, is it about being countercultural? No, it's not. It's actually about being mainstream. Because unless we reach fucking Joe who's watching rugby uh, and making sexist jokes and looking at degrading pornography and eating a fucking Big Mac while he's doing that, drinking the Cody's, what's the fucking point? It becomes this big circle jerk of people who are like, yeah, you're the fucking most righteous and let's pat each other on the back and there's these razor-thin nuances of understanding and like, oh, no, I know more than you and, oh, you said you fucked up this and yeah. you're not part of the cool gang anymore. It's just this stupid psychical... Uh, I don't know, self-congratulatory bubble. And that's what people like build their whole identity about. And it's really depressing because that could be so good if it was channeled in a more positive, constructive fashion. But increasingly, I've become completely politically disillusioned. Like, I don't even know who I'm going to vote for anymore. And I've been into politics my whole life, Mm. like personally and then like in a macro sense. Because of the way I see people who... I politically align with behaving. I'm like, I don't even know if I really want to align myself yeah. with, with not those ideas, but that behavior. Yeah, I want like social justice and economic justice, and mm, but do I want to do that at the, the expense of other people's humanity? You know, there's no, there's not a lot of kindness I see in the most vocal, left-leaning, progressively-minded people, and it makes me feel sad because I think ultimately it's kindness and love and compassion that we need 
to make other people change and and, and to bring everybody and together. bring people together. And now, this. Barbarellas, your pleasure is our business. <laughs> of course, sir, madam, other, we cater for all species, genders, and proclivities. <laughs> Affirmative. I'll just confirm your booking. Four Sarkisians from the Pyramus Quadrant requesting the company of a matched pair of Zondoids for a level four octopod genital enthrashment at 1292.42 Cartesian. Can I have your Galacticard sequence, please? The cessation point and the Minkowski coordinate. Oh, it's the three digits on the back. Thank you. We look forward to hosting you on the 92nd. Oh, my pleasure. Ek pinthwag to you too. Uh, Bertra, got a 494 coming in on Friday. <laughs> no shit. Just make sure we have enough methane. Marvellous, your pleasure is our business. And now we return to more unscripted ramblings. Did you have a, like a a sex education that you've had to unpack? I didn't have much of a sex education. No. My dad gave me a really pretty good talk. Yeah. Uh, well, perhaps not most talk, nuanced of talks, but it sticks out of my memory that my dad was like, if you ever rape anyone, I will disown you. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine to masturbate. Like, like he sat down and tried to give me a birds and the bees talk. Um, But like all the kids that I deal with now, most of my sex education came through talking with my friends and pornography. Mm. And this is the time before the internet. Yeah, yeah. And so as a man, I've had to... Look back and unpack all of that. Yeah. You know, like my anchoring biases around sex come from pornographic exposure. And that's true and true and true and truer for all young people these days, given the ubiquity of porn. Mm. Given that there's like 33 billion visits to Pornhub alone. That's one website. Yeah. There are 500,000 plus websites about porn these days on the internet. And so kids, whether they want to or not, are going to be exposed to pornography, right? And I'm, And my story is just the same as the kids I or not kids young people or adults that I deal with now and that's a shame I think um, I can't remember sex education school other than here's how to put on a condom yeah I went to an all boys yeah. rugby school uh, and then I went and repeated year 13 uh, at seventh form or seventh form depending how old you are do they tell you the same stuff again uh, and that was at a co-ed school and I don't even remember anything right I just remember like being excited to be at a co-ed school and like making out with people in the dark room and like <laughs> oh my god sex after school <laughs> and um, not being particularly good at sex you know, do you know what I mean oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you not fronting and being like I don't know what it's like oh, not to dude, be good no, at sex teenage boys and this yeah I know horrendous, yeah. I used to have sex with this girl and I'm like why do you have sex with me because I'm not that good at it like she's just trying to man <laughs> I was yeah it was like yeah. five minutes of sex and then I feel like real bad about myself uh, I think it's interesting we've sort of talked about kids growing up you know I'm, I think I'm roughly the same age as you 39 yeah um, porn on the internet wasn't a thing it was um, you know titillating lingerie pages in <laughs> catalogues that would come through the door or um, you know something like that so I think that, that culture 
would have shaped our our sexual preferences and you know things like that. And then porn has come along and kind of added to that. But if you if you're 16 in or younger actually in 2019 and you're getting getting it all from porn at such a young age, mm. that's it's kind of double damaging, right? I mean, it's it's du- it's double damaging. Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of writing a blog about that. I'm going to chuck up later today. I've talked to tens of thousands of young people now. I work with the Office for the Classification of Film Literature sometimes, the Light Project. They're the two people who have done bodies of research around porn exposure with young people in mm. New Zealand. Yeah. And then I stay abreast of all the literature that's out there. Not all the literature, that's a stupid... Um, that was a big claim. <laughs> but, but, like, I keep abreast of what the studies say, right? And have done from a long time. Because I've had to decolonize, decolonize myself around pornography and the way I look at women. Yeah. Like, to be honest, like, I grew up at an all-boys fucking high school in the 90s and started looking at porn and would used to objectify women. Yeah. And, and I didn't know about intimacy or kindness or... or um, that's untrue. I knew about kindness. I didn't know about intimacy, right? Yeah. And so in my 20s, I've, I've, and I've, said, I've told this story before, I was having sex with my partner, and she was like, I feel like we're in a porno when we have sex. And it really made me stop and think yeah. about, not the, it's not the physical actions that we're getting into, but like the performative nature of, the, I guess, the sex that we would have, right? And having to feel like it's a, Having a to feel like I had to like fuck for like an hour and yeah. like... Make all the right noises. Make all the right noises and like, you know, like yeah. full Patrick Bateman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and it really made me go, ah. Oh. So like, is, this is interesting. I've been having these conversations with old lovers uh, the last few years because I'm friends with most of them. Yeah. Um, uh, and been like, oh, hey, yo, like... I just wanted to talk about the fact that when we were young, like I, I consumed a lot of pornography and that shaped like our sex life. And it's been really cool. And they're like, well, me too. Or like everything was consensual. But this really stuck out to me. I was talking to one old girlfriend and she said, yeah, everything was cool, but I always did what my boyfriends wanted me to do because it made me think that they would love me more. Mm. And it really made me stop and pause because that's super true of the kids I, I work with now. Like, I will go to a school and hear stories about young girls sending sexual videos around to the boy that they have a crush on. Because they think that that's what that boy will make them like them. And then that yeah. boy will send it to the rugby group chat. And then that girl will cut her wrists and yeah. drop, drop out of school because everyone's making fun of her and calling her a slut, right? We, 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 we've created this insane hypersexual culture with, like, where it was like Cardi B rapping about I fucked him and I got some money and all this sort of stuff and kids are growing up with that with no critical understandings or filters. Yeah. There's no 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 blocks on YouTube or age verification with pornography or any of these things. They're they're, they're soaking up all these hypersexual media ideas but without the tools to navigate that landscape. So they're very much recreating the media that they're consuming. Yeah. You know, I, I've I've had so many stories of young girls who have been presenting to uh, the school nurse with sex-related injuries, trying to do what they watch paid sex performers do in pornography. You know, if you read the data, 
most women in pornography, and pornography is a huge cornucopia and spectrum, and there's feminist, liberal porn, and yada, 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 and I get that, but that's not what teenagers are looking at. You have to pay for that. Yeah. Teenagers aren't going to like, steal mum's credit card to pay for porn when you could jerk off on YouTube for free. They're going but, for yeah. free. Whenever you talk yeah. about porn, there'll be some like con- contrary person like, but there's this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, all good, but that's not what kids are going out of their way to look at. No. That's not what is coming across their email chain in a spam email. You know, liberal yeah. feminist porn. Yeah. Like, that's a nice ideal, but that's not what children, young people, and young men are consuming in mass in their their billions right women mm, respond to sexual aggression in pornography with either pleasure or indifference there's never any oh I don't like that could you stop or that's too hard or that doesn't feel very good for me it's a girl getting called a slut and a bitch and a whore and you like that you fucking dirty whatever yeah and she's loving it and she's loving it as like dudes roughly have sex with her and pull her hair or slap her or like you know whatever and so boys think that's normal and girls think that's normal. Yeah. And then they're recreating that. You know, kids are desperately wanting to learn about sex because that's normal. You know what's cool? Sex. Like, it's a nice time. It feels really good. There are a whole bunch of, like, neurological chemicals that pop off in your head when you experience it. But we're not doing a good job of preparing them for um, how to have yeah. sex. You know? A so, lot of the education schools is sexual violence prevention but it's not sexuality education. Where do you, where do you learn about how to give a blowjob or give, give head to your girlfriend or how to jerk someone off or like how to have anal sex safely? Fucking nowhere. Nowhere. So, <laughs> so, so you look at porn and then it's like four dudes like running a train on a girl and she's like loving it. Yeah. It's fucked up. And then we wonder why Roastbusters happens. So in terms of the tools that you're talking about to kind of filter it a bit, we're, we're maybe lucky that, you know, we've got, the awareness that, that we sort of need a need a filter on it on a few things, but I I still don't think I'd know a hundred percent of the time if how I was feeling was a sort of symptom or of a or as a result, you know, of some some cultural context which I'm kind of unaware of. So, you know, for young kids, it's um it's probably a, is it a bombshell to some people when you say this isn't how it is in real life. Like, what's the sort of biggest pushback you get from people? Like, oh, you're trying to take my porn away, or like, yeah, how does it um, play out? Yeah. So we live in a neoliberal society, right? Like neoliberal economics of like the the hegemonic macroeconomic system under which we live, which is all about the primacy of the individual to make good choices, which will advance their life. Mm. Which is fucking ridiculous because human beings are social animals, and we live in a a context that shapes us. So to put the onus solely on the individual, I think, is wrong. Especially when it's such it, an unnatural context as well. Like, we're living in a... Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So Humans aren't designed to have two million Facebook friends, you no, know what I mean? No, no, but no, we, yeah. we try and navigate that. So we need to um, do it at both ends. We do need education with kids, and from, I would say, primary school age, about... That's age appropriate, mm. obviously. But if you see them on the internet that doesn't make you feel really good, come and tell the teacher or mum and dad and we'll talk about it, right? Um, and what does that look like and yada, 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 and teach them how to touch people's bodies with or without consent. And do you know, like, yeah. what's okay and what's not okay and use the right words for... Don't talk about your fucking hoo-ha. It's a vagina. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. when there is evidence that shows that when you teach kids the appropriate terms 
about their own bodies and they understand their own bodies, they have better understandings about um, how to connect with others as yeah. time goes on. Oh, and yeah. at the same time, you need technological interventions and legal frameworks that push back that age of first exposure to pornography for young people. Mm. The same way we protect kids from cigarettes, we do a shit job of it with alcohol because big business calls the shots, but we should protect kids from alcohol and alcohol marketing exposure. We need to do the same with porn because when your first sexual experience is getting a bonus, seeing some dude come on some girl's face and it makes you feel like real fucking good, like that starts being your anchoring bias. Yeah. Do, do, like kids are getting sexual arousal before they even held hands with another person, before they even kissed another person. They're seeing like really full on sexual acts. Now, I don't care if you're an adult person and those are the sexual acts that you'd like and they're well communicated and navigated and, and mutually pleasurable. If you're into like being a swinger or like bondage and discipline or whatever. I don't care. You know, like I'm not, I think this is where it gets lost. People think that if you're critiquing porn, you're like sex negative or you're a prude or you're a virgin or whatever. That's not true. <laughs> like yeah. some of the most sex positive people I know critique porn because it's not a good sex education, yeah. but it is the sex education that kids have. You could have a much better sex education system that's not about domination and degradation, but about mutuality of pleasure and understanding and communication. Yeah. So we need to we need to do that in the education space. We need schools to use what's actually already in the curriculum in a much better way. Because each school has a, their own approach to how they deliver sexual education. And like I said earlier, most sexu- edu- sexuality education is more about sexual violence prevention, which is great. It's fucking mm. important. We have record numbers of people like being sexually assaulted. That's horrible. Expert. But we also need to talk about pleasure and kindness and relationships. You know what would be nice to talk about when we talk about sex? Emotions. You know, in a, in a fucking hookup day and age of like Tinder and fucking Bumble and like you're feeling lonely and disconnected and your mental health's not really good and it sucks to sit around by yourself in your room so I can just go out and be charming for half an hour and have sex with someone. Like, I think people are inter- using one another really interchangeably and transactionally. Yeah. And that's a shame. And one person or another will end up getting their feelings hurt. And and I've done that. Well, I've never been on a hookup act, but there definitely there's a period when I wasn't in a good space and it was much easier to go out and be charming and have some casual sex with someone with, a, and it was well community, like, this is the extent of my emotional availability. I'm not really up for anything serious yeah. preamble, but someone or another didn't normally get their feelings hurt. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do we help people have those conversations? And I don't think the current frameworks that we have are ticking all those boxes. It's a very haphazard thing. Some schools do it really well, others don't, Mm. right? And so, and then that's within a broader context of porn everywhere on the internet, music video culture, uh, the subjectification that we see of we're all breaking down our bodies to be the most of sexually appealing parts and putting that on the fucking internet. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. We're yeah. taking the humanity away from ourselves and then and then wondering why we're all fucking on SSRIs and have, like, fucking anxiety. Is there anything that um, 
if there's anything that you now know that you think you would have been really helpful, I suppose, or uh, I wish I'd had you know. more self belief younger. Yeah, like I held myself from back from a lot of particularly sporting, not particularly sporting, but sporting wise, there were like big fights I could have taken overseas or whatever that I never did because I didn't believe in myself. I remember when I was in um, New York in 2000, and I was hanging out backstage with this band Anti Flag, who have gone on to be really huge. Yeah. And I was backstage. My boy Toby Morse was singing for this band H2O, and Anti Flag <laughs> were like, "We need a roadie. Here's my email." And I was too shy to email them. But that would have been cool. Imagine yeah. going on tour like in the 2000s of fucking Anti Flag. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, totally. There's lots of there's like. Girls that I really liked that I didn't ask out to when I was a teenager or in my early 20s because I always thought I was ugly. Yeah. And I was like, that girl wouldn't go off me. Like, when I think about a lot of my early sexual experiences, um, they were, oh, well, no one else will make out with me, so I'll just make out with this person. Do you know? It's and, a numbers game, right? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, and then it is, like, growing up in a masculine culture, I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm racking up those notches on the bedpost. That yeah. must count for something. That validates me. And and I wish I had told myself that I was worth more than that and the people I was having sex with were not were worth more than that too because mm. we, they were probably in an equal space. And we were, like, I don't know broken vessels making each other whole for whatever and then and that's kind of do you know what I mean yeah I think it's really interesting that you've gone back and spoken to some of your ex-partners it's something that um, there's a couple that I would actually still really like to speak to yeah and but whatever I'm always like hey this might be weird but remember we hooked up once and and like and but they've all been cool with it not one has given me a negative thing they were like oh I really appreciate this message it's been 10 years yeah but I feel as a public I guess a public. I guess I'm a public person in a sm- small country. Like to really own the co-pupper that I'm involved in, I have to give myself a fearless moral inventory. And if that means having a difficult conversation, and someone wants to tell me something that makes me feel awkward or bad about myself, then that's I think what integrity is. Because I've not always been perfect. I've cheated on people. I've lied. Like I've hurt people's feelings. Um, I've never broken the law or been like abusive or violent, but I've been an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. And so like I need to own that yeah. in order for me to to do the work I'm doing justice, mm. I, th- I think. And, and I get frustrated that I, I see people who um, I would say, because I work with some really amazing men who've been like offenders or perpetrators of violence or committed, and I... There was a time in my life when I never would have thought that I would love those men because of what they've done historically, but I love them deeply, and I can do that because they've owned what they've done with 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 full fearless accountability and understanding of how they've hurt others and taken ownership of that. Yeah, and I get frustrated that I'm seeing more and more people reinventing themselves online at least and not doing that. You know, I see these gnarly OGs who who've got you know they've done like the gnarliest shit. shit I'm not going to talk about here, right? But um, I know them personally, and I love them despite what they've done. Mm. Where I know people who on the criminal justice spectrum aren't even on it, but they've done all this shit that I know to be mm, lacking in integrity. But they've not done the public ownership of it. Yeah, and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if you're best place to 
give advice to others until you've done that work. So that's what I've tried to do with myself is hold myself to a high standard and pretty much every shitty thing that I've done or been through is on the internet somewhere or out there, you know what I mean? Because, yeah, cause, and then I'm like, you know the comedian Deray Davis? Yeah. Yo, people love tall poppy syndrome. Deray Davis is like, I put all my shit out in the street motherfuckers will come at me and I'm like I know I fucking told you <laughs> so I guess in some regard I'm like if someone wants to throw something at me I'm like yeah what I fucking that check out that was on YouTube in 2016 do you know what I mean mm. like I think but but I think we need to all do that we all need to own our shit and heal our trauma and you know my friend uh, Matteo Brown and his partner uh, his wife Sarah They've got this amazing social movement called She's Not Your Rehab. And and they say, hey, it's not your fault what happened to you in your childhood, but it's your responsibility now to deal with your trauma so you don't recreate that and hurt other people. And that's what I'm trying to do. And yeah. I think that's what we all need to do. But living the values and living kind of what you talk about, I know we're sort of talking about, you know, yeah, we all, we all make mistakes and we all, um, you know, we're all human, um, but do you have a relationship now with with pornography or any of that that sort of stuff? Is it something like? That you... Do I still use porn? Yeah. Do no, you... I don't use no. porn anymore. I use porn like. Um, do people find that a bit? I mean, people, people are like whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> no, really, like, here's my browser history. Do I look at pornography for work sometimes in order to understand what kids are consuming? Do I look at the front page of Pornhub and look at? All the titles about yeah, incest yeah. or intra familiar sex. Yes, I do. Step dads or yeah, stepdad, stepmom. I fuck my sister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All this shit. Yeah, of course I do. That's my yeah. work. Like I can't not. Yeah. Am I familiar with what pornography is like in 2019? Of course I am. Um, but the longer I've gone without using porn for my own sexual gratification, the better a person I've become. And um, that's not to shame anyone who uses porn for their sexual gratification. But for me, I don't know how to reconcile teaching young men in particular. Women are people. They're not their people. They're, they're not parts, tits, asses, vaginas, hands, mouths, for your sexual gratification, mm. which is what porn essentially is. And porn, women aren't whole, complete human beings. They're just bits of bodies that can create friction on a penis yeah. to make them feel good. Zoomed in. High Zoomed definition. in, yeah, 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 totally. If you, you know, perhaps limit your porn use or, um, like, do you see what I mean? It's, well, it's like, different for everybody, right? They, they could... I was talking to my friend Michael, not my friend, but, well, I was calling my friend. Michael Flood's a professor um, over in Australia, and he's like, well, why don't we steer people towards choosing non-aggressive porn, right? Like... Why are we looking at rough sex in porn all the time? What is it about hurting other people that we are increasingly finding arousing? You know, I talk yeah. to women now in their twenties and thirties who are like, "Yeah, I went on a date with this dude, and he was really nice, and, was like, and then he started choking me without even asking." I'm like, mm, "Heavy," and they're like, "Yeah, man, like, why does that happen?" And you would have to look at like where men are getting the education about sex from and what's cool and. A lot of that's pornography, yeah. right? So how do we help people uh, get sexual pleasure by themselves through pornography that perhaps isn't about any unequal power dynamic? 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing wrong with masturbation. You know, like, I'm not saying, we're definitely not saying that. But it's like, what is it in our culture that has continued to sexualize the unequal power relationship between men and women? Why is hurting women sexy? And how have we linked sex and violence so intrinsically through pornography? Mm. I think we need to talk about that. In the language that we listen to in music, I was just talking about this last weekend. I remember seeing ASAP Ferg play, right, from ASAP Mob, and his big drop at the time was, I fuck your bitch, N-word, and I'm about to fuck your, and she's about to fuck my crew. Like, that is sort of refrain is commonplace, and yet the whole club, men and women, boys and girls, like, fuck you, let's party that shit. But we're we're weaponizing sexual domination and degradation through popular culture. And that's a real shame because one in three women are a victim of sexual harassment or violence in their lifetime. Hey, this has been fun. Thanks. Yeah, no, thank you, mate. Thank you very much. My we're, pleasure. We're in, uh, all good. Choice. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks, Tim. We really hope you enjoyed that. If you want to check out more of Richie, his work, or plug into his digitised thoughts, you can find him at uh, Richie Hardcore on the gram and on Twitter, Richie.Hardcore on Facebook. And he also has a website and a blog at richiehardcore.com. So go check him out. So we are just kicking off this podcast journey and we've already got some amazing interviews in the can. Coming up in the next few episodes, we talk Asians and sex, we talk anti-shame, the future of sex education and ending HIV with some of our uber sexy guests. We even talk about a HIV positive sperm bank. Yeah. Stop the bus. Um, we, but we would also really love to hear from you, the audience, too, though. We want to hear your love. We want to hear your criticism, your feedback, your ideas, the topics that you want covered and the people we should be talking to. So just send us a simple check-in. You can send your emails, your pictures, your voice recordings or anything else to hello at sexandspace.com. We absolutely welcome your feedback and your input and we would love to include them in upcoming episodes. So you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. We can't wait to hear from you. Yes, do it. Uh, If you have enjoyed this podcast and you have some spare swipes or clicks or something like that to go around, then um, leaving us a five-star rating or a review on uh, good old Apple Podcasts will be really great. Uh, They help heaps and we'll be doing shout-outs of those on future episodes, so please keep them incredible. Um, Massive thanks to all our guests, the good folks at Factory Studios, the team at String Theory, uh, to Andrew, Tanya, Brandon, David and Richard for their amazing voices. Uh, Thank you to my amazing co-host, Jess Holly Bates, and thank you to you for making it all the way to the end. (laughs) Join us next week. If you found some of the material in this podcast a little provocative, we are clearly doing our job.